If you would, grab your copy of the scriptures or your phone or whatever you have and turn to Colossians in chapter 3. Today is our last day of our Family First series that we have been doing for the last number of weeks. So if we could just go through a quick review, this is what we've covered since week one. So week one, as you're turning to Colossians 3 or finding it in your phone, week one we understood from Genesis that God made mankind and marriage to resemble him. So mankind and marriage both have qualities that resemble the image of God. We talked about that week one. We talked about it um, in week two that God's equation for oneness, so for one flesh, God said that um, a man leaves his father, so leaves his father and mother, and cleaves to his wife, and they'll be one flesh. So leaving and cleaving make one. And we, we talked about it that, you know, you'll never cleave if you never leave. And these things are significant for us to become one flesh like God intended. Then the third week, we got into the, the problem. There's a reason why leaving and cleaving in one flesh is a difficult thing for marriages, and that is it's because of sin and sin's curse. We struggle because we've been radically impacted by sin and its curse in our lives all the way from Genesis 3, from the very first sin of mankind. There is a challenge that has been placed in our hearts. And then God commands the husbands. And so two weeks ago, boom, a little wake-up call for men. Men, we need to be considerate as we deal with our wives. We need to be honoring as we deal with our wives. And then last week, God commands the wife. Wife, be respectful as you deal with your husbands. Be tender as you deal with your husbands. And, and the last two weeks were from 1 Peter chapter 3. So now we're in Colossians 3. And it's a different writer. Paul wrote the book of Colossians. And it's almost like Paul must have been listening to our study on family first. Because here he comes out, starting in verse 18, with exactly what we've been talking about. So look at it. Look at verse 18. This is exactly what we said from 1 Peter 3. Look at what he says. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. So he comes out with the same thing we talked about last week. Wives, yield to or respect your husbands. And just as we talked about before, this is to your own husbands. It's not to every husband out there. Your relationship in yielding is to your guy, not to every other guy. And it's voluntary. Curtis Vaughn said, a wife gives this yieldedness and respect. And he says, submission like love can't be forced. If love is forced, then it's not love. And if submission is forced, then it's not submission. Interesting perspective. And then he turns to the husbands. This should sound familiar just like two weeks ago. And he says in verse 19, husbands, love your wives, and don't be harsh with them. 
So he mentions this whole love thing. Remember we talked to the husbands from 1 Peter 3 about being considerate and honoring. And so with this love, there's a proactive thing. That's what he says, love your wives, be proactively considerate, be thinking of her needs. Then he says, don't be harsh. Now, this is a really interesting word in the original language because it is built on the concept of tent spikes. I don't know if you're a camper, if you enjoy tenting it, but if you are, if you've ever done this, you end up pulling out the base of the tent nice and tight, and then you get a spike, and you put it in the corner, and then you drive it down with a hammer to just pin down that tent. Well, in a negative sense, he uses that word here for the husbands. Don't be harsh. Don't pin your wife down with your words, with your attitude. Don't be domineering. Don't have this demeanor that has no place in the love that a husband is to have for his wife. That's where he goes with this. Now, if I can skip through the next few quickly... Children, obey. He mentions in verse 20, obey your parents in everything. This pleases the Lord. Parents, here's three, three quick phrases for you. This is obedience, okay? This is obedience. Whole heart, happy heart, all the way. That, that describes obedience for your kids. One way to describe it, pull them inside and say, you know what, hey, here's how we're going to know it's obedience for you. Whole heart, happy heart, all the way. Because you know what, if, they're, if they don't have energy, if they're dragging their feet, they're like, oh, Satan, that's not whole heart. And if they don't, if they don't do it with a happy heart, well, that's, that's not what God wants for you too. And if they don't do it to completion, that's not obedience either. Whole heart, happy heart, all the way. Children, obey your parents in everything. Then it says, parents, deal with your children wisely. He mentions this. Don't embitter your children. They'll become discouraged. We counter disciple-making in our kids' lives when we are unreasonable in our authority, overcorrecting, nagging, harsh treatment. And we need to be careful of that, parents. And then he even goes into verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. So, you know, for workers, for servers, deal with your earthly masters with loyalty in everything, with sincerity, out of respect for God. And I know, so here we've gone this far, and you're saying, okay, it all computes. I understand that's what we're supposed to do. Here's where it really gets hard. Because sometimes your boss is difficult Sometimes your boss is overbearing. Sometimes your boss doesn't recognize what you do. Or husband, sometimes your wife is difficult or she has a challenging attitude and you're like, what's up with this? Or wife, your husband is an ogre. Or he doesn't listen to you. 
Or your parents come up as a child, your parents come up with the craziest rules. I remember two specific times in my teen years, there were two different girls I wanted to date. And my parents said, no, you will not be dating either of those girls. I mean, they ruined my life. You know, you go through these things and you're like, when everyone else is being challenging to me, so what then? Okay, I know I'm supposed to yield. I know I'm supposed to love. I know I'm supposed to obey. I know I'm supposed to respect or be loyal. But what if they're not doing their part? Hmm? I mean, what if they're being difficult? What if this isn't fair? Then what? Are all bets off? You know, do I now have permission where I can do it the way I want? How does this work out? And so here's where the writer gets down and he tells me and us the best thing we could finish this whole series up with. This is just spot on. It's in verses 23 through 25. And the writer's going to give us two statements that reveal we ultimately are working for God. We're ultimately working for God, not for man. So look at verse 23. Check this out. So of all that he says, then he says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Whatever you do. So I looked up this word whatever. Guess what it means? Whatever. I get paid to do that. Whatever it is, this is about as broad of a net as you can get. Whether you're a wife, whether you're a husband, whether you're a child, whether you're an employee or whether you're an employer, it don't matter. You put in the blank whatever you do. And the first statement that the text drives us to, all of my life has divine purpose. Now this is just fantastic. All of my life has divine purpose. Whatever you do, no matter your role, everything has celestial purpose. God gives divine dignity to everything that you do. And a parent may say, I'm just a diaper changer. How can that be dignifying? Well, God has given you the immeasurable responsibility of bringing up the next generation to love him and bring up their next generation. So parent, it is your divine calling to care for your child. I remember, um, I remember back in the earlier years when we had a bunch of little kiddos floating around the house 
because you know our first five were girls. Saturday nights, doing bath time to get ready for church on Sunday. And you imagine five girls, nails, nail time, so fingernails and toenails. That was a hundred fingernails and toenails on Saturday night. You imagine that, people? You know what those fumes did to me? And so it was bath time, and we stuck them, you know, stick them in the tub, and they're in there doing their thing. And I remember Lisa and I would be sitting down. I remember this one night, the girls just started screaming. And we quick looked up, and they're all standing against the edge of the tub. And we're all family, so I can say it here. Here was a brown floater just going, <laughs> going right up the middle, like, a, like an alligator going up the middle of the tub. And they're all up against the tub, and, you know, we're just like, are you kidding me? You know, what do we do this for? And you just don't feel too dignified with your job. But every job we do, God takes our daily and turns it into the divine. Think about this phrase. He takes the menial and turns it into meaningful. Think about that. Everything in our life has meaning. He takes the menial and turns it into meaningful. Because you're doing it for God. Caring for an ailing parent. Folding laundry. That kiss to your wife. Bringing home a paycheck. Making dinner. Plunging a toilet. Vacuuming the floor. Making the bed. Fixing the car. Paying the bills. Shopping for the family. You know, it's no longer the daily grind. It's no longer I got to do this. I've got to do that. Because... Our life at the core, we have a calling. I have a calling. I'm a husband. I'm a father. And I'm living that calling to God. And you have a calling. Whether it be a wife or a mother or a child, or an employee, or an employer, whatever that calling is, that calling is to God, and from God. And so really what we do, I do it to God, because he's the one that called me to do it. And I'm not doing it for this person over here. My calling is to him. I'm doing it for him. And it just so happens to be that this person's affected by it. But the beauty of this is all my life has divine purpose because I have been called by God to be in this role that I'm in. Here's the second thing, and then we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty. My ethic and attitude reveal the reality of my heart. My ethic and attitude reveal the reality of my heart. I, I enjoy how he dives into this in this passage because he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. 
as working for the Lord and not for human masters. So my ethic and my attitude reveal the reality of my heart. There is absolutely no hiding who we do it for. We will find out who we do it for by the reality of our heart. The word here for heart is actually uh, has a prefix on this word in the original language, and it means out of our heart. So from our heart. So what we do comes from the inside out. And you know, Eventually, if we're just doing it from the outside, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to slave away at it, we're going to find out pretty quick if our heart is not in this, if we're not doing it from our core, that's going to be revealed in our ethic and our attitude. There's no hiding who we do it for. But if we sense our calling if we have a love for God and our heart wants to do things for his pleasure, then you know what? It's revealed. We see it in our spirit. We see it in how we do it. There's a whole bunch of other things I want to share, but um, our, our church staff met this week. And we, we were talking about this. And we're like, okay, how, how do we do this? Like, I, I know we say we do it for the Lord and not for men. You know, if I said that and then we hand around a sheet of paper, you know, do you do it for the Lord, not for men, true or false? True, you know, we get it. But how do we do this for the Lord? What does it look like to do things for God? So um, we talked about it, and I just want to share a little bit with you of what we were talking about, and then we're going to finish up. So here's the, here's the first um, thing. What does it look like to do things for God? Kind of like what we talked about here just a moment ago. Number one, it comes from within. To do things for God comes from within. If it's from without then it's for show. If it's from without, then it's for me. And if it's from without, then it's going to be short-lived. But it comes from within. Now let me ask you, why would I even want to do it with all my heart for the Lord? Here's the big question. Why would I want to do it with all my heart for the Lord? Why would I want to do bath time with all my heart? Why would I want to even care for my spouse when things are difficult? Or why would a child want to obey? Why would we want to do that for the Lord? Here's the answer. Because guess what the Lord has done for us? You with me on this, people? Because guess what the Lord did for us? He died on the cross for us when we were still sinners, when we were unlovely. 
And, and that is the beauty, the message of the good news. So here we're in this situation. Why in the world would I want to do something for a difficult spouse or a difficult parent or a difficult employer? Why would I do that for the Lord? Because the Lord gave up his life for me when I was difficult and unlovely and undesirable. That's what it comes down to. And so it comes from within. I know what Jesus did for me. I embrace his love for me. I've accepted that he died on the cross for me. And so, you know, here we go. That's where it starts. It starts from within. Here's number two. Change your job title. Change your job title. And you're like, what, Brian, are you talking about here? Well, there's, there's an example that's been floated around before, and I've heard this. So picture two guys working on the Sistine Chapel, and all they do is cart around mortar. And so they're, they're pushing around mortar, and someone asks them, hey, what do you do? And the one guy says, I'm a mutter. I just push mud all day long. And the other guy says, I build chapels. I build chapels. That's what I do. Change your job title. Look at what you do through the lens of the divine. So if you're a husband, don't say, you know, I'm just doing this to keep her happy. No. If you're a husband, you are God's chosen lover and leader in your wife's life. This isn't to keep her happy. This is to make him happy. You're God's chosen. This is your calling. If you're a wife, this isn't just to shut him up. You're God's chosen support and partner. This is your calling. I'm pleasing God. This isn't conditional based upon him. I'm pleasing God with who I am. You know, we got some people that work in our nursery and kids' ministries. They are our MVPs here, folks. They are MVPs. You with me on that? So, you know, you're like, well, what do you do? I'm in the nursery. I'm a nursery worker. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh. You're an executive overseer of care for God's kids. It's what you are. You know, what do you do? I, I just clean the auditorium in between services. No, 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 no. You're a quality provider for God's people so they can hear God's word. Well, what do you do? I, I just serve the coffee in church. No, 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 no. You keep people awake during pastor's message. That's what you do. <laughs> You know. I mean, there's a divine, there's a divine title to what you do, folks. You need to change your job title and, and have it reflect who you're doing it for. Can I tell you a tough one? Here's where the rubber meets the road. What does it look like to do things for God? To do what God wants, no matter 
what? This isn't going to be easy. To do what God wants no matter what. Because, you know, we get this sense of unfairness. You know, that's not fair. I shouldn't have to do this because they're not holding up to their end of the bargain. That's not fair. It's like the age old when I was a kid, and it still happens in our house today, and it probably happens in your house. Everyone's around the table for dinner. But then when it's time to do the dishes, you swear the rapture happens. And there's just one person there who's like, time to do the dishes. But that's not fair. It's not fair that I need to be who God wants me to be when they're not being who God wants them to be. Well, what it looks like to do things for God is we do what God wants no matter what other people do. That shows I'm really working for him. I'm really working for him. Not, not for these folks over here. And here's another one. It means to not give up when recognition doesn't come. And this is what I love with verse 24. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, because it's the Lord Christ you're serving. And on the other side, if you do wrong, hey, you're going to be repaid for that because God doesn't show favoritism. Here's the beauty. I may not get the reward from someone down here you may not get the recognition you deserve but the beauty is god's gonna shell it out himself even if someone doesn't give you that recognition here he has an inheritance for you he has something beautiful he wants to give you and i guarantee you it's going to be better than any recognition you could get from someone else this is the special part of it don't give up when recognition doesn't come, that means I'm working for God and I believe his rewards are best. Let me just give you this last one and then we're going to finish. How do I position my life to work for God? Like, I, I understand what you're saying, Brian. I know I need to do this, but how do I position my life to truly do it? This came out of our staff discussion. I just want to give you these three things. Here's number one. You're not going to do it on your own. I can tell you that much. You're not going to gut it out. You might be able to do it for a day or two or a week. You're not going to be able to gut it out. You need to grow your relationship with God. You need to abide. If you're going to work for him heartily, not for men, you got to love him. And so there needs to be this ongoing, regular connection with God. If you're going to work for God, enjoy him, know him, 
love him. It starts at the cross to realize what he's done for you. And then it's connecting with him routinely. So when the rapture turns around and my kids do show up in the kitchen and they're working on the dishes, they play worship music. And they actually almost seem to enjoy it. Like they're working for God and not for man. But you need to have that love for God or you're probably not going to work for him. And that comes through abiding. Connecting in his word. Praying. Being with other people who love God. Singing. And being surrounded in an environment of loving God. Number one. Here's number two. Turn your tasks into ministry. I don't know what it would be. I just wrote down a few, whether it be baking. You know, if you like to bake and you're baking for your family, bake for someone else. Turn your task into ministry. If you enjoy hunting, take some of what you get and turn it into something for someone else. It's not just for us. If it's working, you know, I can do this, but I can also do this for someone else. If it's cleaning, it's the same thing. But turn your tasks into a ministry opportunity outside of yourself. And then here's the last thing, and this is the truth. Allow someone to speak into your life because you know what? We all, all of us will, will start to slip on this. Our attitude will whoop, will go, and we're going to start to go into this, I'm working for them and not for God. And it's going to start to turn conditional. And we need someone in our life to speak truth. And so that's where small group ministry happens. That's where a believing friend, you need someone in your life that says, hold on, hold on. What you're saying there sounds like you're working for your spouse and not for God. Since, since when did that change? You need someone to speak in your life because, you know, it'll start to go squirrely up here. Someone needs to tell us the truth, and you need to give someone permission to do that. You know, this is tough stuff. And this is where we're finishing up our family series. Jesus didn't give us conditional love. Even when he went to the cross... He endured its shame. He endured its suffering. He became obedient to death when we were at our worst. So sacrifice is at the heart of being a follower of Jesus. And we come to him and we say, you know what? Not my will. Your will be done. And if God is God of our lives, he is God of our marriage, he is God of my parenting, he is God of my job, he is God of whatever I do, and whatever I do, I do it for him. So I pulled this quote offline here this week, and I finish with this. Would you stand with me? Listen to this. 
the good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Think about it. But do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. Here's the reason. This is good. For you see, in the end, it's between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Did you catch that? It was never between you and them anyway. This is your calling from God. Would you just look inside for a moment with me? Would you just close your eyes? Would you just think with me as I've had to think myself, have you been living your relationships conditionally? Have you been living your life conditionally? And it's all based upon other people and not God. Can we, can we do a gut check? Can we do a, a, a heart check? Can we go back and remember that God's called you to be the person he has you to be? This isn't for others, it's for him. Father, would you do a work in our hearts right now Move us closer to relationship with you. God, move us to the divine calling that you've brought us to. Take out of our mind the unfairness, the conditionality to our relationships and love. But God, may we have the heart of Jesus Christ who gave to us when we were at our worst. May we show people what Jesus is really like by how we live to others. God, thank you for this word. Thank you for your word. Continue to shape us in our homes, in our relationships, wherever we are. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And all these Bay Calvary said, amen, amen. Hey, God bless your week. Do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. See you out in the foyer.